If you guys were here last week, uh, things may be a little different than normal on, on a Sunday night. Uh, if you weren't here last week, things may be a little different than on a normal Sunday night, too. You just may not know about it yet. Um, but we are doing this series in, in August, and we're talking specifically about um, what we believe about, uh, about salvation, about the nature of salvation, but especially about um, how, how lasting salvation is, how, even in some ways how strong salvation is. And so you might have heard of the phrase before of once saved, always saved, um, and that's kind of what we're talking about these, these uh, four weeks in, in August, these four Sundays in August. And so you see at the top of the paper that Jake's handed out or on your bulletin, um, the, the question I've written on there for tonight is, is salvation forever? Uh, but really what we're talking about is, what do we believe about, um, about eternal security? Right? You might have heard that phrase, eternal security. Are we, are we securing salvation for eternity, um, or can we, can we lose salvation? If, if someone is saved in Jesus, are they saved forever, or can that salvation be lost? Um, you might have heard the phrase, um, perseverance of the saints. Persevere means to keep going, right? So perseverance of the saints. The saints will keep going throughout, throughout their lives. Um, you might have heard the phrase preservation of the saints, which is similar uh, to perseverance, but perseverance means that we keep going. Uh, preservation means that we are kept, right? If you preserve wildlife, then that means you're keeping wildlife and not letting it uh, become extinct. And so um, some people have taken that, per- that perseverance of the saints and kind of twisted that a little bit and, and made it perseverance of the saints, uh, putting the emphasis on not us remaining forever, but God keeping us forever. Um, but the way that it's often uh, described in, in Southern Baptist circles um, is, is once saved, always saved. Okay? And there, there are people um, that are not Southern Baptists that use that phrase um, kind of pejoratively as a um, as a kind of a slam against, against those who believe in it. So we'll talk about some of that tonight as well. But first of all, so, so what is it that, that we believe? What is it that we believe? Um, so if you're following the, the handout there, this is, this is all still under the inter- introduction part. So what is it that we believe? Well, here is what the Baptist Faith and Message, uh, the 2000 Revision says. This is our, our church's official statement of faith that we have adopted. This is describing uh, what we believe the Bible teaches. And so under the section uh, on this um, document, under the section called God's Purpose of Grace, um, it's written, all true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere to the end. Believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgments on themselves, yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And so we believe that if someone is saved, that if God saves someone, that they will be saved uh, forever, right? We, that doesn't mean they're not going to sin. That doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. Even this document goes pretty far to say that people can fall into pretty, pretty, pretty uh, severe sin, um, but we're believing the Bible teaches that if, if that person was saved to begin with, then God will keep them saved and will um, we'll bring them back. That doesn't mean that there won't be consequences for that sin, right? Even it talks about temporal judgment, so, so judgments or consequences uh, that might happen here on earth. Um, people might go to jail. People might um, have families break, break up. People might uh, be estranged from their friends or kids or any number of things as a result or consequence of their sin. And, and yet we believe the Bible teaches that ultimately 
um, ultimately people will, will remain saved, okay? Um, some people call this doctrine even a heresy. They say it's a heresy to believe in, in what's saved, always saved, and there's several groups that, are, that, that differ from us on this, right? Now, we've talked before about uh, kind of different, different levels of, of belief. There's, there's um, if you think about like a triage nurse in, a, in a, an emergency room, when you go into an emergency room, they don't, they don't see patients based on first come, first serve basis, right? They have a triage nurse who decides who's more serious. So if I come in with a broken finger and I'm, I might be there for six hours and Jake might come in right after me or he might come in six hours after me and if he's got a heart attack, well, they're gonna see him before they see me for my broken finger, even though I was there first because they, uh, they see patients based on the severity of, of why they're there. And we can think of, of doctrine that way, of, of theological beliefs that way as well. So we have kind of a, a triage, a first level, second level, third level, right? That's how they do in the ER. And so we can think about doctrines being first level doctrines, second level doctrines, third level doctrines. And so first level doctrines would be things where we believe that if, if we don't agree with, with each other on, on these things, then that means that, that one of us is not really a believer, right? So we can put things in there like the Trinity, Right? We can put things in there like Jesus is really God. We can put things in there like Jesus is really human. Right? If, we dis- if you and I disagree about whether Jesus is really God or not, well, then one of us is not really a Christian. Right? One of us is, is wrong to the point that, that one of us is not a believer. Okay? But then there's second-level doctrines where uh, these are things where if we disagree, I'm not going to say you're not a believer. Hopefully you're not going to say that I'm not a believer. Um, but these are things that are serious enough where we're going we're gonna to say that we can't really be part of the same church together. Right, so um, a good example of something that will be in that second category would be something like baptism. Are we going to baptize adults only, uh, or not adults only, but believers only, people that have made confessions of, of faith, whether they're adults or children or whatever, or are we going to baptize infants who have not made a profession of faith? Right. Well, some churches baptize infants. Some churches baptize only uh, people that have made a profession of faith. And so I'm not going to say, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. My, my dad's an elder there now. My mom and dad are members there now. I go back, I attend church there when I go back to Tennessee to visit them. Um, I've preached in their church often and, and hope to again. Um, and, and they're believers. But if I were to move back to Tennessee or if they were to move up here, we couldn't be part of the same church because it's a serious disagreement. I think it's sinful to baptize someone who is not a believer, who's not made a profession of faith. And... and in the Presbyterian tradition, it's sinful to not baptize an infant who is born of believing parents. That's keeping them out of the covenant of grace, which is, which is sin, right? There, there are other things we can put in that category as well. So they're believers, and we can do some things together. We could even do maybe some, maybe some mission trips with the Presbyterian church or other churches that, that disagree on that kind of level. Um, maybe not church planning mission trips, because then what type of churches are you going to plant? Um, but we could do some things together, right? We could have some joint worship services. We could do some, some, some things like that. But we couldn't be members of the same church, right? Um, and then there's third-level doctrines where these are things where we can disagree, um, and, and we can disagree seriously. I can try to convince you that I'm right. You can try to convince me that, that you're right. Um, and yet at the, at the end of that discussion, we can still be part of the same church. And so these are disagreements over things like when is Jesus going to come back? Right? As long as we all believe that Jesus is going to come back, we all believe he's going to come back and, and, and judge the world, we can disagree about the timing of, how, of when that's going to happen. We can disagree about the details of exactly how that's going to happen, um, and, and we can still be part of the same church. Right? Um, if we, as, long as, we all believe that, um, as long as we all believe that the Bible says that God is sovereign, even over salvation, and the Bible also says that 
that humans are, are, are free to make choices and we do what we want to do, we can disagree over how those two things fit together, right? Some people are going to be more Calvinistic. Some people are going to be more on the Arminian side. And some people are going to be kind of in the middle, right? And they're going to people that don't, that they're going to be people that don't like either one of those labels that, 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 that have what they believe. But as long as we believe both those things are true, we can disagree to some extent about how they fit together and still be part of the same church. And there's, there's lots of things like that, right? We can, we can disagree over whether we like really loud music in worship or we like soft music in worship, right? We can disagree over whether we like singing newer uh, praise songs or older established hymns, right? And we can disagree over those things and still be part of the, part of the same church. And so this doctrine, it, there, there are other churches, by the way, who put other things in, in the second category. There's some churches that would put things like what Bible translation you use. And so it kind of depends on the churches, right? There's some churches who say, if you don't use the King James Version of the Bible, then you can't be part of our church. There's some churches who say, if you don't believe in a, in a you know, pre-tribulational rapture or, or whatever their specific position is, then you can't be a member of our church. But, but we don't do that. We think those things are, belong in the, in the lower category. So there may be even some disagreement over what belongs in what categories. So this, this doctrine, though, whether, whether salvation... Um, is eternal or whether we can lose our salvation. I, I, I wouldn't put this in the, in the first category, the top category, um, but I would say it's pretty serious. I, I think it, we would probably put it in the second category, especially because it's spelled out in our church, in our statement of faith. So if someone doesn't believe that, that part of the statement of faith, there's a question of whether they could really be a, be a member of the church or not, right? So there are groups that disagree with us. That doesn't mean that they're not Christians, though. Right? We can say that they're still Christians, do things with them, go places with them, have joint worship service, have a, have a Thanksgiving service with them, things like that, do things in our community together, all those kind of things. Um, they're still believers. We just disagree over this. Okay? There may be some churches that we disagree over this and other more important things that would mean we might even say that they're not believers, right? But this wouldn't be the reason we would say that. Um, so there's, there's lots of groups that kind of disagree with us, just kind of a list of them. Roman Catholics would say that you could lose your salvation. You could sin uh, to the point that, that, you, that you couldn't be saved. Um, Lutherans would, would agree with that as well. Um, churches that are, or traditions that are um, wholly Arminian would, would agree with that. One of, the, one of the points of Arminianism is that, that salvation, you can lose your salvation. So um, churches that are more Wesleyan, so like the Methodist church, um, the Nazarene church, churches like that that come, come from John Wesley, Charles Wesley, they would be more in that category. They would disagree with us on this. A lot of Pentecostal churches, maybe not necessarily all of them, but a lot of Pentecostal churches would, would disagree with us on this and would say that, um, that, that you can lose your salvation. Assemblies of God, Oneness Pentecostal, United Pentecostals, um, things like that. And then um, churches that come out of, the out of the Restoration Movement, not the Reformation Movement, the Restoration Movement, so like churches of Christ, um, Christian church disciples of Christ, and, and even some Christian churches, right? I was talking with someone this afternoon after the morning service about, about Southeast Christian Church and what do they believe about this. And, um, and, and to be honest with you, I don't know specifically what that church believes about this. And there are probably people, my guess would be there would be people in, in, uh, in that church that, that some would believe you can lose your salvation and some would, would believe that you can't. Um, but churches that come out of that restoration movement, especially the more kind of hardline like churches of Christ would be hardcore. You can lose your salvation. Um, so one of the reasons that they think this, um, the main reason they think this is because of free will, right? Churches who have a, or traditions who have a, uh, a strong emphasis on free will would say that, that that means that you can lose your salvation. 
if we're free to if we're free to uh, to be saved, then that means we're also free to stop being saved, right? If I choose to follow Christ, and that's that's all wholly a choice that I'm making, then I can also choose to stop following Christ if I want to later later in life. So there's a, a, a big emphasis on on free will, and then there's some 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 passages that 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 people go to. Okay, and so we're not going to turn to all of these passages. We're going to look at some of them next week. But you're familiar with them. So in, in John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, that's the passage you're familiar with. I think Josh Green even mentioned it uh, or alluded to it in his prayer already tonight. Um, that's the passage you're familiar with where God says that, uh, Jesus says that, that believers are, in, are put in the hand of God and that no one can snatch them out, right? No one can snatch them out. Well, people who think you can lose their salvation, they would look at that and say, well, yeah, no one can snatch you out of God's hand, but if you want to get out yourself, then you can. Right? No, one, no, one can take it, no one can take me out of God's hand, but if I decide I want to stop being in his hand, then I have the freedom uh, to do that. And then they look at other passages like, uh, like 1 Timothy 1 is on your sheet there, verse 19. This is Paul talking about, um, talking about some believers, uh, and he says that they have made shipwreck of their faith. Maybe I shouldn't even call them believers. We'll get into that next week. But some people who have made shipwreck of their faith, and they say, see, there's examples right there of people that were believers, and they've made a shipwreck of their faith, and so they're not believers any, anymore. And then there's lots of passages like Colossians 1, 21 to 23, and we'll actually read that passage later and, and, and talk about some others like it. But in Colossians 1, 21 to 23, Paul says, he, he, he uses the phrase, if indeed you continue in the faith, if you continue in the faith. And so if Paul says, if you continue in the faith, these people would say, that means it's a possibility that maybe you won't continue in the faith. And so it's possible for people to start in the faith, but not continue in the faith. And so it's possible for people to be saved at one point in their life, and then later to, to not be saved. Okay? And then there's those famous passages in, in Hebrews that you may or not, may not be familiar with. Hebrews chapter 4, I think it is, chapter 6, um, where he's talking there about people who, who, and he uses the phrase fall away, people who fall away. Okay? And we're going to talk a lot next week. Really, all we're going to talk about next week is what do we, what do, we do with, what do we think about, how do we, how do we, um, how do we get, our, get our heads around people who fall away? Because we can all think of people right now who, at one point in their lives that we know very strongly, at one point in their lives they were, they were committed to Christ or seemed to be committed to Christ, seemed to be committed to, to the church. We can think of people even from our church right now who have, you know, this time last year would have been here on a Sunday night for a study like this. And, and, and yet they're not here now and haven't been here in some time and, and don't seem to be following Christ, don't seem to be living a life of a follower of Christ. And so how do, how do we explain that? And we'll, we'll talk about that specifically uh, for the whole time next week, okay? So what I want to do for the rest of the time we have tonight is first talk about what eternal security is, what it, what it does mean, and then talk about what, sec what eternal security is not, Okay. So I think on your sheet you have a blank there in the bold part, what eternal security is. Maybe not. I can't remember if I left a, a, a spot there or not. And then what se eternal security is not. And so the, the, the number one point there under eternal, what eternal security is, we're going to consider the author of salvation. Okay? The author of salvation. Why is it that we believe that if we're saved, we, we won't stop being saved? Well, for one reason, it's because we don't save ourselves. Okay, for, the, for one reason, we don't save ourselves. So if we don't save ourselves, if, if God's the one who saves us, then God's the one who's going to make sure that we don't stop being saved, right? And there's some passages, there are lots of passages that are listed there, um, but there's passages there who, 
that, that talked about God saving us, God being able to make sure that we don't fall away, and God making sure that we don't fall away. Okay? So let's turn to a few of them. Let's turn to that John chapter 10 passage. We already mentioned it once. Let's turn to that John chapter 10 passage. Verses 27 to 29. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. By the way, this is not on the sheet, on the sheet as one of the points, but this is one reason we believe that salvation is eternal because Jesus is giving his people eternal life, right? He doesn't say uh, partial life. He doesn't say, um, you know, a, a few years of life, but he says eternal life. But I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And so in this passage, you have believers who are being held in Jesus' hand and being held in the Father's hand, right? And he, and he specifically says that no one is able to snatch believers out of their hands. He gives them eternal life. They will not perish. No one's able to snatch them out of, out of, out of their hand. Now, people who, who think that we can lose our salvation would say, well, yeah, no one can snatch them out of his hand, but if we want to get out of the hands ourselves, we can do that, right? But we are included in the no one. He doesn't say no one except for yourself can snatch you out of the Father's hand. He says no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Okay? So, uh, so this, is, this is one passage. And then there's lots of passages listed here. Titus 3, 5, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, um, that tell us specifically that God is the one who saves us. Okay? Uh, we won't look at all of them just for time, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1 9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God called us into this fellowship. God's the one that, that did it. God's the one that called us into it. We didn't put ourselves in it. God called us into it. Okay? Flip over to 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, just the next book over. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 say, All this is from God. He's been talking about salvation. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So Paul says that God himself has reconciled us to himself. We haven't saved ourselves. God is the one who has, who has saved us. We're familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 there, that it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not something that we have done. It's something that, that God has done. Okay, turn now with me to, to Philippians chapter 1. This is a passage that we're familiar with. A lot of us are because we used to do the Philippians 1, 6 testimonies every Sunday morning. As part of our worship services, Philippians 1.6, Paul says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, 
So who's the one that began the good work in us? God, right? We just saw in those other passages, God's the one that called us. God's the one that reconciled us. God's the one that gave us the gifts of salvation. God's the one who started this work in us. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So here Paul says, if, if, if God started the work, God will finish the work. If God started the work, God will finish the work. It, so, so the work of salvation, we're going to talk in more detail about this in a minute, but the work of salvation is not our work, it's God's work. And if God started it, God's going to finish it. If God started it, he's going to finish it. And then look at Romans chapter, chapter 8, or you can just listen to this. You don't have to turn there. Um, I'm just going to read one verse, verse 30. He says, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, we could spend a lot of time talking about this passage, um, but here's what I want to point out. Justified refers to when we're declared righteous, when we're declared innocent, right? We normally think about beginning salvation being justification. And then the Bible talks about sanctification, which is the process throughout our lives after we've been saved until we die, where God's making us more and more and more like Christ, right? And then glorification is the end process where we are made like Jesus, okay? So justification is the beginning of salvation. Glorification is the end of salvation. But look what he says again in verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So in, in Romans 8, Paul says all the people that God justified, all the people that God saved, all the people that God began saving, that's the same group that he's going to glorify. And it's written in the past tense here. Um, we could talk a lot about what that means, but for one reason, it, it, it's, it's that secure. It's that sure. It's, it, we can say it's already happened, right? Because in God's plan, um, it, it has already happened. He's working that plan out now in, in time. But the same group that were justified, the same group that began being saved, that's the same group that will end being saved, that will be glorified. Okay, so the, the first reason we believe that salvation is, um, is secure is because of the one who saves us. God is the one who saves us. The second reason that we believe that, that eternal security is true, that, that, um, that salvation is secure, is because of the nature of salvation. So the author of salvation, number one, the nature of salvation, number two. Salvation is permanent just by its own nature. It's permanent by nature. Salvation is not a change of, of status. It's not us joining a different group. It's not us leaving one group and becoming part of another group. It's, it's a change in nature. It's us becoming a new creation. It's us becoming a different, type of, a different type of being. In fact, in, in 2 Corinthians, the passage we just looked at right, right above that, let me go back to it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says uh, in verse 16, 17, Verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, if, if salvation means that we're new creations, the old passed away and, and the new has come, and now we're a whole new creation, what does it mean to lose our salvation? Do we go back to being an old creation? If God made us a new creation, how do we then re-die? He's, he's gotten rid of what's old, right? The old has passed away, and behold, the new is here. And so what, what happens is if we lose our salvation, does God resurrect the old that's, that's died? Um, how, how, how would that even work? Well, one reason that, we, that we're securing our salvation is because salvation is not just a change of, of status. We're not just leaving one group and joining another group. We're actually changing our, our nature. God's changing who we are. 
we're different beings now than we were before. I don't know if you remember um, high school chemistry or not, but it's like the difference between a mixture and a reaction, right? And a mixture is something that can be separated. You have, you have two things and you put them together and you mix them together, and, 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 but you can take them back apart, right? So like salt water. You put salt in water, the water becomes salty, but that's not, a, that's not a chemical reaction, that's just a mixture because you can have the water evaporate out and you're left with the salt, so you can separate them again, right? But a chemical reaction can't, is something that can't be undone. Fire, right? You can't take the ashes and make them back into wood again, right? In fire, wood and, and oxygen and different things are, are reacting together. When, when that reaction's over, you can't separate the oxygen and the wood out again. You have a new, you have a new thing there, ashes. And that's how salvation is. We're not moving from one group to another where we can move back, but we're being completely changed uh, of who we are. We're a, new, we're a new creation, a new creature in, in Christ. We just got through singing in, in one of the songs that we sang um, here tonight. We just got through singing, who, uh, saying, what other power can raise the dead? What other power can raise the dead? Salvation is death coming to life. It's dead people becoming alive. The Bible says that we're dead in our sins and that we're made alive in, in Christ Jesus. And so to, to lose our salvation would mean that we would somehow go back to being dead again. We're new creatures in Christ. Look at, look at some of these other passages. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14 say this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, who, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We've talked about this passage before, but God's taken two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, and he has reconciled us to God and reconciled us to one another. Salvation is work he's doing in our hearts um, to reconcile us to him and, and to reconcile us to, to one another. Um, there's another passage in Ephesians that I, that I wrote down the wrong reference for, so I'm not sure what the, what the passage is, but you can look it up, where, where, God, where, where Paul says that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Those of you who've been saved in Christ have been sealed with the Holy Spirit as a promise of what's to come. Well, so if someone is, is saved and they're sealed with the Holy Spirit as a promise of what's to come, what, what happens when they stop being saved? The Holy Spirit doesn't keep that promise that he made? We know that God keeps his promises, so how, how, can it be, how can that person be unsealed? And how, how is it that God can, can decide not to keep the promise he made in, in the sealing of, of the Holy Spirit? Let's look at a couple more passages. Uh, turn with me to Titus chapter 3. You're familiar with John chapter, chapter 3, I'm, I'm uh, confident. John chapter 3 remembers when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and, and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And he had that whole conversation about how can I crawl back into my mom's womb and be born again? That's weird. And Jesus said, yeah, but I'm talking about being, being uh, born again by the, by the Spirit, right? And so salvation is, is a new birth. We've talked about this already, but salvation is a new birth. And so if we lose our salvation, what does that mean? We go back to being somehow that, that new creature in Christ is, is dead. We're, I, I don't understand how, how, that, how that could even happen. The nature of salvation itself makes it impossible for salvation to 
to be lost. Because again, it's not just us leaving one group, joining another group. It's a radical change being made in, inside of us. In Titus chapter three, verse five, he says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And then here's how he did it. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Again, he's regenerated us, made us alive, given us new life. He's washed us. He's cleansed us of our sins. And he has renewed us in the Holy Spirit. So what would it mean for us to stop being saved? All those things would have to come untrue for us to, to stop being saved. And then, and then look at Colossians chapter 2 with me. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Again, God's salvation is taking people who were dead in their sins and making them alive in Christ. But keep going. He's made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he has set, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay, so if, if, if when God saves someone, he washes us of our, uh, what's the word he uses, not washes, but he, um, he's forgiven us all of our trespasses, he's canceled the debt that was against us, he's nailed it to the cross. So then if someone takes someone, if someone who, who is saved that God has done that to, God's canceled the debt, God's nailed their debt to the, to the cross, God has uh, forgiven them their trespasses, then what does it mean for that person to lose their salvation? That that debt comes off the cross now and somehow that debt is put back on them that God had taken off of them? Somehow God unforgives them when he had forgiven them? So two, two reasons that, that we believe that salvation is, is secure is because of the author of salvation. God's the one that does it, and if God does it, then we can be sure that he will complete what he starts. He'll finish what he begins. And then secondly, because of the nature of salvation. Salvation itself is a radical change. It's, it's, it's taking someone who is dead and making them alive, taking someone who hates God and making them where they love God, taking someone who loves sin and making it so that we despise sin. It's a radical change in our own nature, and so how, do, how, how would that be undone? So what is, what, what is eternal security not? We've talked a little bit about what it is. What is it not? What, what is it that we get charged with believing by believing in, in eternal security, and why is that wrong? Well, well two things, I think, um, and one of them may be more, more um, weighty than the other. The, the first thing that, that we get charged with is that sin doesn't matter. Sin doesn't matter. If, if, if we believe in once saved, always saved, that means that someone can, can, can be saved by God, we can be converted to Christ, and then, and then I can just go and live whatever type of life I want to, sin doesn't matter, and, 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 I'm, and I'm saved, right? It's almost thinking about, you've heard people talk about salvation as, as being like a, um, like a get-out-of-jail-free card from, from the Monopoly game, right? We don't believe that's what salvation is, but people say that if you believe in eternal security, if you believe in once, always, once saved, always saved, that's what you turn salvation into, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Or other people talk about salvation as being like fire insurance, right? You can do whatever you want to in this life, and you can be um, with the assurance that you're not going to 
be punished after this life is over. You won't face the consequences of those sins. And one, one reason people, people mention this is, is because um, there, is a sense, there is a sense in which salvation is conditional, right? There is a sense in which condi- uh, salvation is conditional. So look at that Colossians chapter 1 passage. I mentioned it earlier. We didn't read it, but, but we'll read it now. Chapter 1, verses, uh, starting in verse 21. It says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And then verse 23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so people look at that and they say, well, see, if it's, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith. So if continuing in the faith is an option, then not continuing must be an option as well, Right? But there, 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 and we'll talk about this in a second. We'll put all these together. But there is a sense where, where, where salvation is conditional. If we don't continue in the faith, then we won't be saved, right? If we don't continue in the faith, then we won't be saved. Look at, um, look at Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three, verse fourteen. He says, "Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, for these things, or for these." Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. He tells believers to be diligent to be found without spot or blemish and, and at peace. And so there's something for believers to do. The believers themselves are to be diligent to, to do this. And so it means that maybe if the believers are not diligent, then they won't be found blameless and uh, spotless and at peace. Right? Um, the other passage on your sheet there, uh, Philippians 2, this is the passage where Paul tells uh, tells. Timothy, or I'm sorry, tells the, uh, the church at Philippi to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so if they're to work out their, their salvation with fear and trembling, then is it possible for someone to not work out his salvation and, and, and so then lose his salvation? Well, the rest of that passage, Paul says, knowing that it's God who's working in you, right? Even, even think back about Colossians 1 for a minute. He says, if indeed you hold fast the faith, right? If indeed you hold fast to faith. And so people say, well, so if you can hold fast to faith, then it's also possible that maybe you won't hold fast to faith, right? And so if, if that's a possibility, then it must be possible for you to, to fall away. But I don't think that's true because that's the whole question we're talking about. The whole question we're talking about is, will someone hold, uh, will someone hold fast the faith, right? We're not talking about, we don't believe that someone can, can be saved and then stop believing in Jesus and still be saved, Right? We, we don't think that's true. And we'll talk about that next week, about what, what's, true, what's happening in those cases. What, what we're saying, what I'm saying, and what we believe by eternal security is, if God has saved you, if God has saved me, then we will hold fast the faith. If God has saved you, then you will work out your salvation with fear and, and trembling. I've been reading, uh, I started reading this book the other day by J.C. Ryle, a pastor some of you all know. It's a it's a book, it's called Christian Leaders of the 18th Century. It's a book about um, some short biographies of different people. Uh, Jonathan Wesley is, is one. Um, George Whitfield is one. Augustus Toplady is one you may know from, the, from hymnals. And then there's a bunch of other people that I'd never heard of before. Um, but, in, but in the introduction, he talks about what's happening in England in the 18th, in the 18th century before these people are born. And, and the gospel is getting lost. People aren't, aren't preaching the gospel anymore. People aren't... Um, 
People aren't believing the gospel anymore. Pastors aren't preaching the gospel anymore. Churches aren't standing on the gospel anymore. And then in the, in the second chapter, still kind of an introduction, he talks about the doctrines that these men he's going to write about, these faithful pastors that God raised up, um, the, the doctrines that they taught and they believed. And he, and he says this on, uh, on page 17 about personal holiness. He says, furthermore, that these pastors from the 18th century taught constantly the inseparable connection between true faith and personal holiness. They never allowed for a moment that any church membership or religious profession was the least proof of a man being a true Christian if he lived an ungodly life, right? That means if someone comes in here and makes a profession of faith, someone comes in here and, um, and says that they want to believe in Jesus, and yet their life doesn't bear fruit, well, we have reason to question, are they really believing in Jesus or not, right? And we'll, again, we'll get into that more next week. He says a true Christian, they maintained, must always be known by his fruits, and these fruits must be plainly manifest and unmistakable in all the relations of life. No fruits, no grace was the unvarying tenor of their preaching. Once saved, always saved doesn't mean that we can be saved and then live a, a godless lifestyle and that we're saved. Once saved, always saved means that once God saves us, those transformations are going to be there. Those transformations are going are to begin to, to happen. Uh, look at your, take your hymnal out again. We did this last week. Take your hymnal out again, if you would, and open, open that front cover up to where our church covenant is. Because this is in our church covenant. And with, whether you have realized it or not, when, when we joined the church here, we've made some promises to one another uh, based on our church covenant, and we've promised to do some things for one another. Look at, look at the second paragraph. It says, we will seek by the Holy Spirit to maintain lives of holiness through drawing near to God, resisting the devil, putting to death our sins, and living unto righteousness. We will personally watch over the souls of our fellow church members and urge them on to holiness and purity. We believe that if God saves somebody, he's going to continue saving them. And continue saving them means that, that we will continue growing in the graces that he's given to us. We'll continue becoming more and more um, like Jesus, more and more godly in our, in our own lives. And one of the gifts that he's given to us to make that possible is the church. Right? We see God's grace operating in, in the church. Turn, turn to, um, this will be the last passage we turn to, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. That's the best, we're going to turn to one more. But turn to Hebrews chapter 3. This is, this is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. I, I've, te I've taught on it a lot, preached on it a lot. But look at, or listen to Hebrews 3, starting in verse 12. He says, take care, brothers. Notice that's plural, right? He's writing to a church here. Take care, brothers, all of, all of you in the church. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any, that's singular, right? Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, here's the condition, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We've come to, to, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How do we hold our, our, our original confidence firm to the end? Well, two ways. One, one way, we trust that God is going to hold us fast, right? We trust that God's going to preserve us, and we trust that God's going to keep us. But the second way is we're working in our own lives to follow Christ, 
And we should be, we ought to be as a church working in one another's lives to follow Christ. Take care, brothers. Take care, all of you. Everybody in the church, take care lest there be one of you who falls away, right? If there's a church member who falls away, if there's a church member who doesn't hold fast, his original confidence firm to the end, that's on him, but in, in a way that's on us as well. Because the author of Hebrews says that we, all of us, should take care lest one of us falls away. One of the, way that God, one of the ways that God keeps us is through his church. One of the ways that God keeps us is, is, is through one another. Last, last thing, look to, look to the book of Jude, the last book right before Revelation. Josh Green has, has pointed this out uh, before, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Look at Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude. Look at verse, um, verse 1. says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. If we're believers in Jesus, we're being kept, right? And Jude doesn't say who's doing the keeping, but it's implied there that God's doing the keeping, right? If we're believers in Jesus, God is keeping us. But look down to verse 21. In verse 21, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So God's, God's preserving us, God's keeping us, but he also says that we should keep ourselves in the love of God, right? And I, and I, think, there's a two, I think there's a double meaning there. I think, I think I should keep myself and you should keep yourself, but I think it also means that we should keep each other in the love of, of Christ. I should keep myself in the love of Christ, but I should also help you stay in the love of Christ, and you should help me stay in the love of Christ as well. And then look down to verse 24. Verse 24, again, it turns it back to God. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of, the, of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God's keeping us. We're keeping ourselves. We're keeping each other. And in the end, our, our, our belief, our hope, our trust, our, our foundation is that God is able to do it and that God's willing to do it. God's able to keep us and God wants to keep us. And so we trust that he will. And in the meantime, we, we use the means that he's given us to make that happen. We work with our might to fight against sin. As a church, we work for one another to fight against sin. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much tonight for a good, uh, just a good day. God, we thank you for a good morning worship service. God, we thank you for a good, uh, a good study tonight. And God, we, we, we thank you that you're keeping us. God, if it were true that we could, could lose our salvation, then every one of us would have lost it already. And so God, I thank you that you're, that you're keeping us by the power of your spirit through the work of Jesus. And God, I pray you'd help us to, to fight for, our, for our, our own souls, fight for ourselves, Father, to work to make our calling sure. And God, also, I pray you'd help us to be good church members for one another, to help to fight for one another. God, keep us in Christ as we keep ourselves 
and as we keep one another, trusting that you're able and that you're willing. So God, we thank you for Jesus. Pray these things in his name. Amen.